You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. My name is Chris Spangle, if Christy Avery hasn't told you, uh, or we haven't met. I'm Chris, by the way. Nice to meet you. Uh, A couple faces that I don't know. And I am the former executive director of the state party from 08 to 2012. That's how I got to know many of you. And I, during that time, started a podcast called We Are Libertarians. And you can find that at wearelibertarians.com and subscribe if if you're not a listener. And over the course of doing the podcast and working at the Libertarian Party, I've run across several people as, as you work out in the field and you talk to people, you run into people who have pretty severe needs or have had really bad experiences with the government. And I want to tell you about a Fort, Fort Wayne area resident who passed away, which is obviously, I feel sorry for that guy, but it, it speaks to the cost of government policy. Rachel Wood was a 26-year-old woman who had two children and was living with a guy who was not necessarily a, a good character. And he was a drug dealer. He dealt opioids. And this was nearly 10 years ago at this point. And uh, Rachel, the boyfriend couldn't get to a, a drug deal, essentially, and had Rachel go and drop the drugs off. What she didn't know is that it was an undercover officer. And she was charged 16 years and convicted with 16 years in prison for selling opioids for two pills. Rachel went into the women's prison system. She had a rare blood disease and lupus and very complicated medical needs that were under control when she was going into the system. But once in the system, the doctors didn't take care of her properly. the Indiana prison system, their healthcare is run by a company called Corizon, or it was. It's actually been kicked out of the state of Indiana, partly because of Rachel's dad, Woody, who I'll tell you about in a moment. And the, the, the privatization of healthcare and prison systems isn't true privatization. It's a monopoly. And so a, a public company like that has a fiduciary duty to their shareholders to maximize profits. And by doing that, they cut doctors, they cut services, and they cut the things that keep people like Rachel alive. Well, Rachel, uh, her, her problem got out of control, and she wasn't being cared for by the prison doctors. And over the period of six months, her condition got worse and worse and worse, to the point that she could no longer walk, that she was having hemorrhages, and she was basically dying in front of her cellmate's eyes, and none of the medical staff would take care of Rachel. Uh, Eventually, she was hidden from her family, so they couldn't see how far she had deteriorated, to the point that the Indiana Department of Corrections actually put out a missing persons notice on a person who could not walk. They moved her around to four different facilities. She ended up in Terre Haute and Rockville, where she ultimately passed away from a full hemorrhage. There was a two-week period where her dad, Woody, was looking for her. And finally, one guard called him and said, this is where your daughter's at. She's in Rockville Prison. And you need to come see her because she's not doing well. 
he missed her by six hours. Woody eventually uh, contacted me because he wanted to rectify this situation. He wanted justice for his daughter. He didn't know what had happened. I had met him a year after, and he had no idea how his daughter died. So I had a medical professional friend of mine look over the record, and I explained to him in detail what happened. The Department of Corrections didn't do that. The coroner of the county didn't do that. A stranger that he had called, because he knew libertarians might be against this sort of thing, had to explain to him the effects of this government policy to him. Uh, Woody didn't want to sue, and I convinced him that he should, because the only thing that matters to the state of Indiana, to the Department of Corrections, to Corizon is a lawsuit. And he eventually sued. He won. He's still in the process of some of these lawsuits. Uh, he had three lawyers rip him off in the meantime, but he found a good lawyer, and he won one judgment against uh, the ambulance company, which had committed some malpractice. All this is outlined in episode 91 of We Are Libertarians, what he tells his story. Uh, but I think it illustrates the true cost of government policy. Behind every single regulation or law or contract that a government signs with a company like Horizon, there's a human cost to it. There's a real-life cost to what the government does. And libertarians often don't do a good job of telling that true cost. We get invited to come speak to places like this, or we sit down with a friend at a diner, and we talk about, you know, 375,000 people were incarcerated last year, and 7,200 of them died because of this malpractice suit. That isn't as powerful as the story that I just told you. And so I want to bring up the first of two common mistakes that libertarians make when they talk about government. The first is that we don't use storytelling and empathy and emotion. We are very fact-based people. We want to know the, the numbers. But people don't respond to facts and figures, they respond to story. It's prehistoric wiring of our brain that accepts story better than any other form of communication. We are wired to accept information through story. We are just now, in the past 2,000 years, learning how to accept facts and figures and math and language in the written form. But storytelling is a primordial mode of communication. So I think it is important for us to engage with people and ask their story and what, how, do, how has the government affected you? Because there isn't a person who hasn't been affected by the government in some way, positive or negatively. Start there. Why did you become... Today is April 15th. <laughs> it's a great place to start. My friend, uh, she, she's 23. She just filled out some taxes for the first time. And right before my very eyes, she was becoming a libertarian. As she, for the first time, was a self-employed person putting together taxes. And she's now paying $2,000 to the federal government. I say she's also against the war in Syria. Are you okay with the things that are happening in Syria? Your tax dollars are going towards that. That's using an emotional appeal... And emotional appeals are sometimes taken way too far and abused and can become propaganda or can become manipulation. In the case of our good friend David Hogg, who is the Parkland student who is giving lots and lots of speeches, using lots and lots of, of emotional appeals that are not based in reality. 
So the first mistake that libertarians make is that we focus too much on the facts. The second mistake that libertarians make is that we don't focus enough on the facts. So let me illustrate this. Uh, how many of you are against the strikes in Syria? Okay, it's unanimous. Um, what, what are some of the solutions to solving the Syrian crisis? If you were president right now, what would you do? Okay, so let the refugees in or do nothing. Anybody else? What would Ron Paul say you should Stop do? Killing Stop killing people and bring the troops home. Now, you're not wrong. Okay? You're not wrong. But how convincing is that argument? Because it's become cliche at this point. Libertarians have started to rely too much on cliches. So... The Syrian situation, and I don't mean to call you out, I'm, I mean to, to educate a little bit, because I was converted by Ron Paul and his foreign policy and the idea of bringing the troops home. How many of you know how many troops we have in Syria? It's 2,000 right now. 2,000. You, you didn't listen to the last episode, did you? Yeah, All right, so you be quiet. I'm not calling on you anymore because you know too much. Uh, we have 2,000 troops in Syria. Do any of you know what the troops in Syria actually do? They're advisors, but for the most part, what they do is they rebuild the territories that were destroyed by ISIS. They are special forces troops. They're there going in and building local governments and, and helping advise on how to build buildings and pick up the pieces after ISIS leaves. Now, if Trump actually pulled all 2,000 out of Syria, how many of you think that those special forces troops would be, quote-unquote, coming home? No, they would be shipped to a place like Afghanistan. And so we're arguing a cliche of bring the troops home that isn't the reality of the situation. And we compound that cliche every time we repeat it to the point that our presidential candidate starts repeating it and then he gets embarrassed on national TV. The biggest reason Gary Johnson wasn't taken seriously is that Gary Johnson didn't have enough facts he didn't have enough policies outlined. He didn't know what he would do if he were sitting in the Oval Office. And it didn't matter that he was running against the least qualified human being to ever run for the office of the presidency, the most morally grotesque human being ever to run for the office of presidency. He still lost to him. People, for whatever reason, their cognitive dissonance can't handle Gary Johnson and the Libertarians being in charge, but they can Donald Trump because he's got, well, I'm sure he'll have advisors. Libertarians have an extra hurdle in running for office. We have to be able to exactly explain what we will do when we get elected. And you, as your friend's libertarian friend, need to know more than your Republican and Democrats friends. Now, it's not easy to consistently read the news, to consistently stay up on top of stuff. It's a full-time full job for me at this point doing what I do. But when we talk about issues like Syria and we repeat cliches on Facebook, it isn't compelling anymore because the human brain works on novelty. They want Your friends want to see that you have an understanding of that issue, that you can command, uh, have command of the issue, and that you can explain the issue fully. So 
the issue of Syria is a very complicated issue, but I would say to you that are you against chemical weapons attacks? Yes, everyone's against chemical weapons attacks. Do you want more chemical weapons attacks? No. What is the best way to get more chemical weapons attacks? By bombing, by tipping the military balance in Syria towards the rebels. If you attack Assad with American military might and you tip it to borderline jihadists and the rebels, you have a person who is willing to violate any international norm to stay in power. Gaddafi and Mubarak in Libya and Egypt had chemical weapons. They didn't use them. They're dead. They don't exist anymore. Assad used chemical weapons and uses every means available to stay in power. And so if you make him more desperate, you will kill more people with chemical weapons attacks. Okay, that was a 30-minute podcast that I listened to on the way up here. That's how I got the facts that Mubarak and Gaddafi had chemical weapons. And if you just think about the basics of this situation and you explain it, that is much more powerful to getting people to be against further military intervention because it's going to cost more human lives than bring the troops home, which isn't a very powerful argument. But the fact that your tax dollars buying a bomb that will kill more people is a much more effective argument. So you have to think about how you are persuaded and then start working backwards to find the information that will persuade your friends to our side of the argument. So I think we're relying too much on cliches and I think we're not doing enough storytelling. And I would say that um, the role of the libertarian in the modern society is to define what a just government looks like. We have to explain what government looks like according to a libertarian philosophy. And then from that, we measure everything Republicans and Democrats do by that definition that we have created. And it is our job to wake people up to the ineffectiveness and the injustice of the current government. And the way that we do that is through storytelling. It is through... uh, talking to people in a way that they will be motivated, which is the use of empathy, taking that extra step. Why is the privatization of prisons bad? Because it costs human lives. Um, and lastly, we have to be the best informed of any political movement. Because if we're not, we're not going to be taken seriously. And we will end up with more Aleppo moments where we aren't taken seriously. There isn't anyone in this room who doesn't think that Gary Johnson wasn't the best choice for president. And he was given a bum rap on the Aleppo situation. But part of it is that Gary Johnson hadn't done enough research into the the Aleppo situation to immediately have an answer. He relied on cliches to get by. Um, So I would just say, remember these two things when you're talking to your friends, when you're posting on Facebook, remember that you're trying to tell a story about a libertarian future. Use it personal stories and don't rely on cliches. All right, thanks, guys.
my job, my day job is dealing with uh, mass communication. I deal, I'm a social media director for a nationally syndicated radio show, and I deal with hundreds of inbound messages a week. And the thing that you learn looking at the audience of a broadcast outlet or dealing with my audience at We Are Libertarians, uh, there's not many Christy Averys who are selfless and who want to help you. Most of the listeners to We Are Libertarians are very selfish. Okay, And I don't mean this in a negative way because I'm like this, we're all like this. If I'm going to give you two hours of my time, what am I getting out of it? What benefit am I going to get from hearing what you have to say? And people, normies out there, when you go and talk to them, are the same way. If I vote for you, what am I going to get out of it? And libertarians have had a failing strategy for 40 years. They don't know how to sell. They don't know how to sell. And, you know, there, there are people like Arvin who are legitimately should not be in leadership. But people like Arvin should be involved in the movement. But that's exactly right. Or Arvin. Yeah. For those of you who don't understand, Arvin is the vice chair of the party. Arvin feels that if he provokes and he just says there shouldn't be government schools, that everyone will wake up and start following him. But if I say to you there shouldn't be government schools, your next question to me will be why? And so if you're just saying taxation is theft, there's got to be a why there. What is the reasoning? And it's probably not best to start with taxation as theft. You know, because most people don't believe that. We've had a hundred years of conditioning. Right, right. So, so I'm just a, a big fan of having an ongoing conversation with people. You know, it's, it's like dating. Uh, and I know most of us are probably not good at that. I know, I'm not. But if you... Uh, trying not to be indelicate you don't walk up and say you know what I'm hi I'm Chris would you like to get married it's probably not going to get a good reaction okay you have to have some sort of salesmanship okay we're dealing with people where we're not defining the overarching world that we're trying to build and yet we're expecting people to completely change their entire ideology that they've had in their brain for 30, 40, 50 years. So there has to be some salesmanship in that. Jeanette? Well, s stories are certainly emotional and they stick with you, mm -hmm. but to defend your case, people are going to ask of you dates and facts and locations, and that adds respectability. So shouldn't you combine them? Absolutely, yeah. I'm not saying it's, it's, a, it's a binary choice. There has to be... Uh, had I stood up here and I started my speech with 150 women died in prison last year because of failed medical treatment, would that be more or less effective than the Rachel Wood story? And I think what a lot of libertarians do is they say, oh, well, I'm going to speak to libertarians on April 15th. I should do a speech about taxes. I'm going to talk about the economic impact of tax cuts. And then everybody has a nice time, but then you don't remember anything that you've said. Uh, you, you have to personalize it. And so you have to uh, add some element of humanity to the argument. We, we joke about how we're the party of data, 
not not like Data, but like Data, the Star Trek character. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're cyborgs. So I'm an ENFJ in the land of INTJs. Any other questions? I, uh, I like what you said in some regards. Mm-hmm. I'm going to disagree with a lot of your conclusions. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why is um, I have a lot of political discussions with a lot of people, and a lot of people agree with the basic libertarian principles, mm-hmm. and they still go for public mm-hmm. maybe some of them vote Democrat. Most of the ones I'm referring to still vote Republican. And the reason why they do that is not because they disagree with us or don't understand it. It's because they want to make sure they win. Meaning more, they want to defeat the opposite opponent mm-hmm. than they do care about getting the libertarian in office. And I think the largest problem facing libertarians as a voter block is the fact that people that agree with us still don't even vote for us. So, before you got to go out and talk other people into believing what we believe in, you got to find a way to make the people who already believe that vote for us, vote libertarian mm-hmm. instead of Republican, so that they can beat the Democrat, or vice versa. So, I think if we're going to win elections, that's got to be something that comes up. And I think a lot of the problems, like you mentioned, Gary Johnson had a lot of problems. The longer the campaign went on, the less I liked him, even though I still voted for him at the end. But by the time he got there, I wasn't sure if he should even be president by the time he became the By the time the election day got there. Mm-hmm. Now, you take somebody who's not, who doesn't even have a conviction that I had that I'm going to vote for the Libertarians because I'm not voting for the other two regardless. And it becomes very challenging to vote for Libertarian when you're watching him participate and he's just kind of snarky and joking around. And most of my experience with Libertarians, these are the kind of people that are running for these offices. Almost always you go to an event and you get somebody, and you you understand what their core beliefs are, but actual candidates do not seem serious about making a difference. I think if you're going to make libertarians win elections, the Libertarian Party needs to put people up who look like they're actually serious about being in government. And I think that it's hard because one of our primary things is there shouldn't really be that much government, but let me be your governor, mm-hmm. which is kind of the disconnect. But if you want to win elections, we can tell stories, but until our candidates get up there and look like they are serious, I think that's where it comes to. So where, where do we disagree? Because where... Because I'm basically so outlining the, I'm outlining the framework on how to do that. Because I don't, I don't see where we're disagreeing. Well, to be honest, I'm just saying that rather than focusing on trying to talk to people who don't, mm-hmm. who don't get it, we should try to find a way to capture the votes of the people who do get it and just start voting for it. So why are you here today? Why am I here? Mm-hmm. I want to see what y'all were up to. Okay. Because I'm already voting Libertarian, where it's an option. And some of the candidates I voted for, I didn't even really like. I knew they weren't going to win. But I voted for them anyway because I want the percentage of libertarian mm-hmm. votes to increase. Okay, but what is the larger reason that you would even vote libertarian? 
because I don't want a two-party system. Because I believe in what the libertarians believe in. Okay, how did you right. come to that conclusion? I don't, I don't follow how did How did you decide that a two-party system was bad and that there needed to be a third party and that it should be libertarian? What's the story that got you to that point? Well, I became a libertarian before I understood the evil mm -hmm. of the two-party system because I believed in a lot of things in the non-aggression principle. Right? Mm -hmm. So um, that's kind of where I came from. But I have a lot of other friends who I'm talking about who also believe that, and they won't vote libertarian because they think we can't win. Mm -hmm. And they see the candidates, and the candidates don't seem serious. Uh, I, I agree. Mark Rutherford's the most serious candidate for an office right. that, that I've, great, I've ever... That was a great talk and stuff. Yeah. But I'm talking about like when you see them... But I'm saying, by and large, I agree with you. I think libertarian party candidates are woefully unprepared to get elected. And it's because they don't want to get involved in local government in any way, shape, or form because it takes work. And likewise, I hear a lot of people say, I don't want to vote libertarian because I don't want to give up the security. Or there's a, a I don't want Hillary Clinton to win. Or I don't want Donald Trump to win. Um, and so it's, it's broken down by their larger value system. Okay, why is this the value? You have to ask them, why is this the value that you hold? Why is winning the most important thing? Why, what has that gotten you? What is the... You have to eventually work it back to the point where it is their, in their interest, and they realize that it's in their interest through the use of questioning, that they go, you're right, it's not in my interest to vote for Republicans or Democrats anymore. And that's what I'm saying. There has to be... It, it's not about knocking on a candidate's do on a door and going, hi, I want to tell you a story. It's, it's not that simple. What I'm saying is use people's self-interest and try to open their eyes to the larger set of values and principles that they hold and then say, why aren't you living out those values? And it's an interpersonal conversation over many months that that takes place. But to say, I just find people who say, well, I, I don't vote for the libertarians because a guy got on stage and danced naked at the convention. Well, you weren't voting for the libertarians anyways, ever. Like, there's no point in casting your pearls before swine. Like, there are some people you're just never going to convince. So move on to the next person. You know, I, I just, I've, I've, after 10 years of doing this and having hundreds of conversations, maybe thousands of conversations with people like yourself who are kind of new... Like, those people you're talking to, they're probably just never going to vote Libertarian. You know, even if they totally agree, they're not willing to take the risk for whatever reason within their own value system. And you've got to figure out what that is, and maybe you have a chance, but maybe you don't, you know. And just saying, I'm going to wave a magic wand to make the Libertarian Party perfect is just not ra reasonable, you know. It's, I guess what I'm saying is... You know, it's it's good to get new converts, but we should wonder why the converts aren't coming to church. Yeah, no, you know I, what I, mean? I agree. And, and, and like I said, like a lot of, a huge portion of my circle of friends, I have a large circle of friends because I work with hundreds of different people. Mm -hmm. 
and a huge portion of them share the core libertarian beliefs, but very few of them, if any, besides myself, actually believe libertarian. Right. And it's not because they don't buy it, it's because they don't think that we can win. And they don't think that, like, when they listen to Gary Johnson talk, I mean, I don't know. I know it's it's a difficult problem and everything, and you're trying to solve one problem, and I think a different thing is the main problem. But I'm also coming at it from a long period of working on that problem. I mean, the a lot of new people will say, oh, well, the Libertarian Party is in this state, so therefore I'm not going to get involved and make a change. It's like there, there's a lot of people very unhappy with our current leadership of the party. I'm one of them. But a lot of those people are not willing to actually come to a county convention or a state convention or a national convention and do anything about it. And so at a certain point you go, you can't criticize me if you're not willing to put some skin in the game. And there's a lot of those people who are just not willing to do anything because they don't want to work. They want to bitch. And I don't have a lot of respect for people who just want to cast out the hard work of people who are on their team when they're not willing to put any skin in the game. You know, everybody has some level of ability, be it time, money, volunteering, uh, advocating for candidates that they believe in, taking the risk of alienating themselves from their friends and family by taking a moral or ethical or political stand. And so at some point you you have to politely say, what skin are you putting in the game? Because if you want to see the Libertarian Party do well, you have to be a part of that. You know, Because there's a lot of people, Mark Rutherford's done it for 30 years, I've done it for 10, you know, Robert, I think, 15. It's like, we're, we're, we're tired. <laughs> when, when are the next line of recruits coming up? So, and I think things like our vice chair don't help because then that creates conflict in the party and you see the, in, the infighting and you just go, okay, they're not the perfect solution. So, so I think we're in total agreement. Does I, I'm, the party have a way somebody, to educate its candidates? Say somebody here decides I'm going to be on the ballot mm-hmm. for local whatever libertarian. Mm-hmm. Do they have a way to educate or to help that person to understand how to become a better candidate? How to answer questions in the media yes. and that sort of thing. So you you benefit from living in a state with a long time Libertarian Party with a lot of people who have a lot of institutional knowledge who have implemented that. And we have a candidate vetting process where it's it's a two or three page form that people fill out. And we you know, by asking questions sometimes you're getting that person to think uh, on these forms. And also you're getting some of these forms back and you're going, there's nothing about your views on some of these things that are even remotely libertarian. Like, I'm sorry, we're not going to put you on your ballot. Uh, So we do have a candidate vetting process. People who are in leadership, they have to have two signatures from people in leadership from either their county or the state party. Uh, We have regular candidate training sessions. Uh, I think in the last year we had three or four candidate training sessions. So there, there are a ton of resources available. It's you just probably as as a voter wouldn't, or a sympathetic person of the party might not know that. But the party advertises it. But it's just it's hard to, with so much information. It's hard to kind of catch that stuff. For example, I followed. Sorry. 
we got to wind up this presentation, but you two can sit across and talk okay. some more. Um, 